This episode of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is brought to you by the Self-Care for Teachers School Staff Wellbeing and Resilience Sessions. I'm taking bookings now for the 2021 Student Free Days and Twilight Sessions for school sessions on cultivating a culture of wellbeing in your school staff. In-person presentations are available in Queensland only or the online training is available Australia-wide with tiered pricing options so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably. Send your inquiries to hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au now. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers, helping you prioritise your health, happiness and wellbeing so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds-Keen, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hey teachers, welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Uh, this episode is the audio from a an Instagram live that I did on Saturday, the 5th of December on my Self-Care for Teachers Instagram account after some conversations uh, in the Instagram stories during the week before where I was popping some sticker boxes up and having some conversations with teachers in the DMs. So if you're not already following me on Instagram, head on over there because I'm enjoying it lately. Yeah, I'm finding Instagram stories to be a nice place to converse with people and in the DMs. So at Self Care for Teachers, come and connect with me on Instagram if you're not already. But so of course that does mean that this audio is pretty raw because it was recorded live and also, there is some swearing, so just a heads up about that in case uh, you have little ones uh, around, maybe pop your headphones in. So I share a bit of the context at the beginning of the live, but I'm talking about who benefits and why it's important that we ask the question, who benefits from teachers and schools and the school system's obsession with the visible aspects of teaching. So I think it's a really important Topic, and I think it's a really timely one because it's the end of the school year here in Australia. It's frankly the end of the weirdest, hardest school year ever, especially for you Victorian teachers. Shout out to all of you. But I do think that now is a good time to reflect on this question because, you know, you'll, you possibly are listening to this on the school holidays, having some downtime, finally getting a break. Now is a really good time to reflect on this question and to think about what you're going to do differently in response going into next year, because 2021, I don't think is going to be an easy year either. I mean, let's hope the pandemic gets under control, but I think we all know now that, you know, these world and national and local kind of disasters and changes, like it's just, that's the world that we live in now, constant change and constantly reacting and responding and helping our students as they are impacted by it and and personally being impacted by by these changes as well whether it's bushfires whether it's pandemics whether it's you know tragic accidents in your local community whatever it is there's going to be things that challenge you that test your resilience and we cannot afford as individuals but also at collectively we cannot afford to keep doing things the way we've always done them so my invitation to you 
on listening to this episode is to think seriously, take some time to reflect on this and on how you're going to take this on board and what you're going to do differently going into 2021, especially if you find yourself at the end of this massive mammoth year feeling completely burnt out. If that's where you're at, I really, really encourage you to take that seriously. Don't just put that down to, oh, it's the end of the year and it was 2020, so of course I'm exhausted. No, I mean, that's an aspect of it, but we need to stop this, I suppose, excuse making that the end of term, the end of year is always going to be burnout central because if we accept that, then it starts to encroach and pretty soon it's week five is always burnout central and then it's week one and then we're actually just always exhausted and that's where real, true, proper debilitating can't get out of bed, can't actually function properly burnout happens and I don't want that for you and I certainly don't want that for our students either to have, you know, lots of their teachers in that state either but I don't want that for you as a person first and a teacher second so I really invite you to reflect on that over these holidays and if you are ready to go into 2020 differently and start shifting the habits and patterns and behaviors that that you have control over that lead to this I acknowledge that you don't have total control over all of the factors here but you do have control over some of them and if you're ready to really start looking at that and shifting that, then I invite you to hop on the waiting list for the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program. It starts in January and I would love to help you with this because my vision for you is that you actually start embracing this concept of resilience being a preparedness approach as opposed to a bouncing back after adversity approach because we've got so much adversity coming from all angles in in many unexpected ways now we just can't afford only think about it after the fact anymore so and if you want to hear more about that go back to the episode from the start of the year where I shared the rethinking resilience and well-being for 2020 that was the title of the episode and that was before the pandemic even arrived so (laughs) I just think we've got to look at this seriously so head on to the link in the description below selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash resilient teacher jump on the waiting list if you are ready to really shift this and come and tell me what you think of this episode over on instagram love to hear from you in the direct messages or on stories talk to you soon enjoy the episode hi everyone So I'm here today um, to talk about or to share my theories around the question of who benefits when teachers and schools are caught up in the and being measured by appearances and um, yeah appearances as opposed to what what making a difference actually is. Um, So a little bit of a disclaimer before we start. I think there might be some adult language in this because I feel fairly fired up about it. Um, so just keep that in mind if you've got kids around. And also, I know there's no captions because I'm doing this live, um, but I will do what I can to get some captions on the replay in IGTV uh, because I know that that's really important for accessibility um, and I am committed to doing better in that regard um, in terms of accessibility. And I know that captions on videos and image descriptions on posts 
a big part of that. So I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Um, and yeah, I know there's, there's work to do in that regard. So context for this live last night on Instagram stories, I shared a story about how I was visiting a school yesterday because I'm going to do some PD, um, for them next year and was getting a tour of the school and teachers, like it's a few days before the end of the school year, classrooms were being tidied, cleaned up, packed up, moved, whatever. Um, they, it wasn't necessarily your standard normal, everything in its place work happening as usual kind of a day because that's what happens at this time of year. And when the teachers found out that I was a teacher and that I, you know, I'm not a parent getting a tour of the school or somebody else, um, they visibly relaxed. And, you know, what I was saying last night was, isn't it interesting that we feel like the appearance of our classroom and the appearance of what it looks like is happening is a, is a measure of what we're doing when actually those teachers were doing nothing wrong and they were doing like they were doing their job and it's the end of the school year and that's one of the things that happens at the end of the school year. Um, and so I shared on Instagram that isn't it interesting that we have that sense of appearances mattering and, the, and you know, I put a poll up and a lot of you agreed that, you know, that the pretty perfect um, classrooms on Instagram, which of course are highlight reels, um, do have an impact on this. And I also made the point that like a lot of our, like who benefits from from teachers being obsessed or not obsessed, but being caught up in the idea that, that things have to look a certain way and it has, has to be neat and pretty in order to be viewed as a good teacher. You know, the data has to look good, like the appearances of what you're doing on paper have to look good, whether or not that's actually good teaching. Um, and you shared, some of you shared that you wanted me to share my theories on this. Um, so that's what I'm doing here. Uh, so firstly, how does this show up? How do I see this show up? Um, like I said, the, you know, the perfect photos on Instagram of the, the beautifully decorated classrooms, which again, we know is a highlight reel. By the way, I'm not knocking you. If you have a beautifully decorated classroom and you enjoy doing that, more power to you. Not saying you shouldn't be decorating your classroom, but I'm saying the fact that we see so many images of it, um, it you know, it's similar to like the 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 models in the magazines in the 90s before people realised that airbrushing was a thing, right? Like we, we, we don't compare our behind the scenes to other people's highlight reels and those highlight reels do impact the way we think about ourselves. So it shows up in the, in the pretty Instagram classroom feeds. Um, I also think this shows up in the kind of inspiration porn of stories, movies, you know, narratives that glorify teachers who sacrifice in a certain way for their students and for their job. You know, they sacrifice their personal lives, they sacrifice their health. I'm sure you can think of a few movies like that. Um, I also think it shows up in the media with stories of teachers doing visibly good work because it's easy to show, right? It's easy to show the visible side of the job, but a lot of the good work of teaching is invisible and intangible and hard to measure, hard to hard to show in a three-minute good news story, sort of, again, a highlight reel on the evening news. So I also think it shows up in those ways where the media might be trying to share a positive story about teachers, but it's, it's a still about the visible side of the job because that's easier to, to demonstrate. Um, and I also obviously think that this, this 
obsession that certain aspects of our media and our politicians have with the league tables, with the data, um, and using that as a way to comment on the teacher quality, um, in inverted commas, um, of Australian teachers. And internationally, this happens too. I mean, we know it's a huge issue in the US and the UK as well. Um, and pro- probably elsewhere, they're just the only ones I'm sort of familiar with, I suppose. Um, but we know that these media and, and media personalities and politicians use these league tables in a way to make comment on Australian teachers and schools that then justifies whatever their political decisions are. Um, And that's problematic, but that's a way it shows up and it's a way that we are made to feel like what our, you know, like what the data shows on on the NAPLAN test or on any other kind of standardised test that is a point in time is the sum total of the uh, quality of your work, which it's not, right? It's not. Um, I also think it shows up then because of the, the politicians using it as, and, and certain media personalities using it as a, um, as a way to justify their certain, you know, election promises or, or funding choices or whatever, policy decisions. Parents and community then believe that those are the things that matter about education because that's what they're being told is important because that's visible and it's what's being trotted out in the, you know, in the media and by the, by the politicians. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing because it's not all media. It's not all hashtag, not all media, hashtag, not all politicians. Um, but it, it's something that we see a lot. Um, and yeah, and then parents and community then believe that, that those league tables are what matters and that the pretty, you know, the, the beauty of the classrooms, the decorations in the classrooms, proves that it's a better school or the resources that the school has, the equipment, the, you know, the fancy buildings that proves that it's a better school for their child and they'll get a better education. And we know that that's not the case. We know that like study after study after study shows that when you, um, when you account for the socioeconomic and educational levels of the parents, there's no academic benefit to to certain schools, you know, private schools or elite schools or whatever, um, selective schools. There's no academic benefit when you acqu- when you account for the fact that usually the students are coming from a very different family background um, in those schools, and and yet it's still being touted as a well, we've got all these facilities and the classrooms are beautiful and we've got all these resources, therefore it's a better school and your child will get a better education. Um, and parents believe that because that's what they're told and because it's visible so it's easy to to trot out in the brochures and it's easy to um, to spin, I suppose. Um, and I also think that it plays out in the then use, schools using that data, you know, the the improvements in NAPLAN or the, the My School website, like they then schools then use that to their advantage if they've got good data, right? Um, they will then, again, trot that out as part of their PR to attract students and, and families, which is, again, especially in the case of those private schools, because students and families are customers for them, for them, which is not the case in public schools. It, it doesn't work that way in public schools. Um, and then I also think that we see this with education departments using the data um, and, and also some of those other appearance-based things 
And sometimes also with school, principals and school admin using these aesthetics and appearances as a stick to beat employees with or, or a kind of a carrot and stick approach. Um, you know, incentivizing job security for, for temporary and contract teachers by making the things on the annual implementation plan or, or whatever the, you know, whatever the school strategic plans are or the region's strategic plans, making those things tied to some of the visible and appearance-based aspects of the job, which is problematic because, again, we know that that's not all of what teaching is. We know it's a relationship-based profession and we know that it's something that is a lot harder. You know, if you're in a contract, a six-month contract in a in a school with huge amounts of um, student population with a lot of disadvantage, one, it's going to be a lot harder to build strong relationships with those students. Two, you don't have a lot of time because you're only on a six-month contract and, and these things take time. Three, the fact that then the data might be being used as a way to promise a, a, a permanent or a tenured position. Like there's so many facets to that. Um, and, and principals can be doing that and using that as a way to incentivize or, you know, the carrot and stick approach with, with teachers and school staff, but also education departments use that with the principals in the same way. So that's the way that I see it play out. And I think it all comes back to this idea of the visible versus the invisible work of teaching, which I've talked about before. There's a, a podcast episode from last year. I think that it was season five, episode four or five. Um, so if you scroll back in the in the podcast feed to um, midway through 2019, um, it, it's called The Invisible Work of Teaching. That's what that episode is called. Um, it's a really good one. And it's honestly actually the episode that I've re received the most feedback about um, in the entire seven seasons of the show because it seems to really resonate with people. And there's so I won't go into all of that because I, I don't want to detract from the topic of today, which is who benefits from this kind of obsession with the appearance-based, the visible sides of, of teaching and education. Um, but go and check that episode out if you want. So who does benefit? So I have some theories like pretty much everything I talk about. It's a complex thing. It's multifaceted um, and there's a lot of stakeholders. So I'm just going to run through the stakeholders um, and share my thoughts on each of them, right? Um, so number one, students. Do they benefit from this um, data and testing and aesthetics and appearance focus? No, we know they don't. Um, particularly from the, the data perspective, they, you know, in theory, students are supposed to be benefiting from teachers having this extra data and then being able to make decisions about the way they teach those students based on that data and meeting them where they're at and whatever. But we know that's not really in practice what's happening, especially with those big standardized standardized tests. Um, and also we know that teachers have loads of other data that they use to do that anyway. Like good teachers are doing that anyway. They don't need a NAPLAN test or any other kind of big standardized test to do that because teachers ha have their own ways, many ways of, of gaining all sorts of different kinds of data that helps them meet students where they're at. So it's a kind of, it's held up as this idea that having these this data is the only way teachers would ever be able to do that. Well, we know that that's not true. Um, and so students, therefore, also don't benefit because there's all this over-testing and the anxiety and um, the taking time and resources away from other 
teaching and learning activities. I mean, you know, we know all that. I'll just check my notes. Anyway, it's highly questionable whether students benefit at all from all of this standardised testing and extra focus on data. And I say at all compared to what teachers would do anyway in a, in a good teaching practice where they are gathering various forms of data to inform them. Not saying we don't have any testing or any data at all. That's not the point I'm trying to make, right? Um, but also in the neat classrooms, the pretty decorated classrooms, do students benefit from that? I mean, maybe it's, uh, sure, it's nice to be in a beautiful space, but again, study after study has shown that what makes the difference academically, educationally to students is the teacher, the teaching relationship, um, because it is a relationship-based profession. So as much as it's nice to have a pretty classroom uh, and, it's, and it's important to have enough uh, equipment and resources, I again would say it's questionable whether students benefit at all from whether or not there's a, you know, an underwater theme in the classroom or a forest theme or whatever. Like it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually make the difference. What makes the difference we know from research is the relationship with the teacher and the, and the various pedagogical approaches of the teacher. Um, again, I'm not saying if you like decorating your classroom, I'm not telling you not to do it. Just if you're not a classroom decorator or if your classroom doesn't look as pretty as the ones you see on Instagram, don't feel like your students are missing out because of that, because I don't think that they are. Um, the teachers benefit from the neat and pretty classrooms. Again, I think if you individually enjoy it as a creative outlet, yes, you might be benefiting from it in that regard and there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to enjoy that. You're allowed to enjoy having an aesthetically pleasing space that you work in. That's totally fine. Um, but are you spending all your, you know, a proportion of your own money, your own take-home pay on making the classroom pr pretty? If you are, then I would question whether that's necessary and I would question whether that that's problematic, right? Teachers spending their own money because it comes up with all these, especially with the, if you're spending your own money to decorate your classroom to keep up with the Joneses, like keep up with the Mrs. Joneses on Instagram and their pretty feeds. Like if that's why you're doing it, just just check in with yourself about that. Again, if it's a creative outlet that you enjoy, that's not the same thing. But even then, if you're spending your own money because your school budget doesn't allow for enough equipment and resources or any kind of decoration, then we have a bigger problem. And, and in spending your own money, are you propping up a system that is actually already uh, exploitative in that regard? Um, so do teachers benefit from pretty classrooms? Questionable. Do teachers benefit from the obsessive focus on the, the appearances of certain kinds of data? I don't think so at all. Um, again, I think individual teachers may benefit because the system values that. And so, for example, if you're trying to go for a promotion or if you're trying to secure permanent employment and all your data looks really good on paper, that's probably going to count and benefit you in in the system in which we operate. So I think teachers individually can benefit, but as a whole, no, we do not benefit from this obsessive focus on the data in a way that is about it being um, visible as opposed to necessarily impactful. Like, again, because there's other ways of collecting data. Teachers have been doing it for decades, you know. 
It's not this new fandangled thing that's only started since Naplan existed and before that we had no data at all. Like, that's a lie that certain media personalities and politicians are telling to hoodwink people. Um, yeah, so I don't think that teachers benefit from that. Um, and also I think all of us in general lose out because there's a, a level of exploitation by this system and by these leaders because, and again, these are just my theories, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, this is not any kind of QAnon bullshit. Uh, I just, I firmly believe there are corruptions and injustices and systemic oppressions going on in the world, but in our education system, in the way our education system runs. And I think we need to be aware of it and fight against it. And it's actually kind of core to what self-care for teachers is all about. Um, because I'm not here for the skincare and the goop on your face and the manicures. That's not the kind of self-care I'm talking about. I like a new lipstick, but I know at the end of the day, it makes no difference whether or not I'm wearing lipstick or not to my effectiveness as a human being in my job or my health either. Um, so yeah, like that, like I said, there are corruptions and injustices and it's not the bloody Victorian premier hiding children in tunnels or Dr. Fauci spreading a pandemic virus to control the American people. Like that's bullshit. The, the, the problematic you know, corrupt systems are patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and other systems of oppression. And that that's, and Rupert Murdoch, right? And his media conglomerates and, and Clive Palmer paying bajillions of dollars for political advertising to literally influence democracy um, and spread out like right, out right lies and confuse the public. So, you know, that's what we're talking about here. And we're talking about these politicians and media personalities and, um, you know, who, who are spreading these lies and confusing the general public for their own sake, like in order to prevent the maybe policy changes that would, you know, interrupt the, the systems of oppression that are keeping them in power, but also keeping everybody else not not okay, um, you know, and measures that would save lives and prevent the spread of a virus, but that might impact negatively on their bottom line, um, or measures that would prevent further deadly bushfires and do something about climate change, but again would impact their bottom line. So they 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 put huge amounts of time and energy and resources into spreading lies and confusing the public and and influencing democracy in a way that is really like for their own nefarious means for money for power for control you know for influence um anyway so with that in, in mind let's continue on the stakeholders conversation around who benefits from teachers and schools being obsessed with these appearance-based metrics um so do principals and school leaders benefit because i did put a question box up last night on instagram and that was one of the the common responses or my principal benefits by the the focus on the data and, and by me as an individual teacher having to be focused on the data and I think we need to think bigger than that um no in the long run I don't think that principals are benefiting and even in the short run they don't benefit again you might be in a school with a toxic principal or a toxic school leadership team you know I'm not, I'm not discounting that right and and again it may be being used the data the appearance-based things, the, the prettiness of your classroom um, may be being used as a, 
carrot and stick kind of method um, to incentivize you to behave as, as a, in a certain way as a teacher. And if you work in that environment, then you, you kind of have to play those, by those rules to continue. But And I appreciate that that's very, very difficult. So I don't want to dismiss that. But again, if we step back and look at the bigger picture, um, your principal does not benefit from this because they are a cog in the wheel as well. So they are actually victims of this as well. And, and again, their jobs are also often on the line when it comes to this data. Like, if you as an individual teacher feel like your classroom data is being used as, or, or your, or your classroom appearance is being used as a way of measuring your effectiveness as a teacher, um, and, and job security and, and that sort of thing, then that absolutely applies as well to the, to the principal and school leaders in your school from, from the district or regional or education department level. So they're not benefiting from this in that regard, but again, they might be, you know, participating in it because their jobs are on the line. And also, like, we know we know that principals and school leaders have huge issues with burnout and, and health and well-being, um, you know, health challenges caused by the job as well. The Principal Health and Wellbeing Survey paints a pretty dire picture of that. Um, and also the recruitment of school leaders has become a really difficult process in the last few years because, to be frank, None of us fucking want that job. Like, seriously, the number of people who are uh, applying for principal and, and school leadership roles is alarmingly low, um, which, because that means that the pool of people that are being drawn from to become principals where vacancies exist is alarmingly small because everyday teachers like you and me look at the job and say, no fucking way do I want to do that. Um, especially if we recognize that it's just another cog in the wheel, the same kind of uh, problematic aspects of the appearance-based stuff being held against you and, and your entire um, effectiveness as a, as a professional being measured by some point-in-time tests that have a lot of variables that are outside of your control, I mean... If we can acknowledge that that's what's going on for principals as well at the at the kind of district level, then we look at that and go, I don't think so. I'm not putting my hand up for that. Um, so, no, I don't believe that principals benefit from this. Um, and I'll say again that that doesn't necessarily mean that if you are in a school where your principal is perpetuating this, that that doesn't impact poorly on you. Um, it does, and I recognise that, um, and I want you to recognise that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't believe that principals are, on whole, benefiting from this system either. Um, so, what about the education departments? Do they benefit? Well, yes. I mean, no, in the long run, because of course, like if we're seeing teacher shortages, which we are, and and principal shortages, or school leadership recruitment process is getting a lot more difficult. Like that comes back on the education department. They're going to have to solve that at some point. So no, I don't think in the long run it benefits. But yes, I think it does benefit education departments. Um, but it depends who we're talking about because, of course, many of the individual people, all of the individual people who work in education departments are human beings. Not many of them, all of them. Um, and 
that's where we have to just be aware that we're, we're talking at a system level, not at the individual person level, even though there may be individual people enacting decisions or, or making decisions that are very problematic. Um, but I do think the, the system as a whole, the education system, the education department level, um, I do think it does benefit from this appearance-based focus because um, because if, if teachers are spending their own money to decorate the classrooms, then the education budget doesn't have to stretch to that. And if teachers are spending their own money on resources, then the education department doesn't have to stretch to that, right? Uh, the, the budget doesn't have to stretch to that. Um, and the budgets are tight, and we're going to get to the political level in a minute, but they are working with, with, with finite uh, resources there, uh, which is problematic, again, for other reasons. But, yeah, that's money that the department doesn't have to spend because teachers are spending that money themselves. Um, and I also think the education department benefits by the focus on the, the appearance base, the data, the, the just the endless administravia, because it means that then if anything crops up where people make complaints or just raise things, the department is able to pass the buck and not actually address those things because they can say, oh, no, look, we've got, you know, all our teachers and principals have been jumping through all these administrative hoops for the last 10 years, so you can't say it's our fault because, look, we've got um, some spreadsheets and some documents from this, every school in the region to prove that we we did that. Even though they didn't do that, what they actually did was write the documents about how they wanted to do that and that took up the time instead of actually implementing whatever whatever the thing is. But so I do think that the education departments benefit in that regard because it allows them to pass the buck back onto teachers and principals instead of taking responsibility for the things that they should be taking responsibility for. Um, so, yeah, I, I do actually think education departments and the education system as a whole absolutely benefits and exploits teachers and school leaders and school staff and, yeah, exploits their extra efforts and exploits the job insecurity and exploits the absolute care that teachers have for the students in their classroom and, and that schools have for the students in their, in their school so that then personal funding, like from your own pocket, goes to filling gaps that the education department's budget is not not um, not covering, and your own health and well-being is sacrificed for the sake of gaps in the system because you don't want those kids to suffer, um, which is admirable, but also a type of exploitation by the system to you, if that makes sense. So that's an important one that we have to acknowledge. Um, but again, I think that the people who really benefit, I think, again, it's bigger than that, the people who really benefit are the politicians and the media personalities, and this is a kind of a long view, right, um, and the power brokers in society like Rupert Murdoch um, who have vested interests in undermining good quality, well-funded public education and free, effective, truthful media um, and ultimately undermining democracy because if you have a populace that's not well educated, if you have a populace that's barely literate, if you have a populace that is just keeping their head above, barely keeping their head above water in survival mode all the time, they don't think critically, haven't been taught to think critically, then they will believe whatever lies get fed to them, 
whether that be from Rupert Murdoch's media um, or from fucking Pete Evans and crackpots online spreading actual dangerous conspiracy theory rubbish. And I think we've seen the fallout of that this year. <laughs> and that impacts all of us, but the people it doesn't impact as much are the people at the top who already have huge amounts of resources and time and power and they're protecting that from themselves, um, protecting themselves from that. And that, that's also why they're undermining education and, and exploiting teachers and why the system is not funded properly because we know that good, supportive public education for everybody is very, very, it's a very powerful path out of cycles of disadvantage. Um, and we should be very suspicious of anybody undermining that. Very suspicious. And it, whether they're undermining it through outright funding cuts or they're undermining it through double speak about how fair their funding is, looking at you, ScoMo, um, or through this obsessive and bogus focus on teacher quality, quote unquote, um, and the shitty data and the overloading the workload of teachers and, and school leaders with administrative tasks so that everybody is just actually too burnt out to, to notice, let alone push back. Um, again, this is not QAnon rubbish, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This is, it is well documented that this is what systems like capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and other systems of oppression, this is what they do. They exploit people at the middle and the bottom, the majority of people, for the gain of a very small number of people, um, usually old white dudes with big bank accounts, again, Rupert Murdoch, Clive Palmer, etc., etc. Um, and they exploit the majority of people for the gain of a very small few, and they make that majority of people feel like there's something wrong with you if you don't function very well in this system or if you're struggling under this system. It's your fault because look at them. They pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. They made it to the top. If you haven't, if you're struggling, it's your fault and there must be something wrong with you. There isn't, right? There isn't. Um, it is literally designed to prevent you from having time, energy, health resources enough to even notice it, let alone to push back against it. So what can you do about this? Um, firstly, you can just keep learning about this. Um, pay attention. Realize that it's not you. Uh, it's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, if you're not functioning in this system very well or you're struggling within this system and you feel like you can't keep up, that's that's what the system is designed to make you feel like, right? Um, and also join your teacher's union if you haven't already. I think that's really important. I have criticisms of the union too. I know they are not perfect. I know, for example, in Queensland this year, there's been some very controversial things going down. Um, but we still need them. We still need them. And I think um, unions are still very important in this landscape because if we didn't have them, I think things would be a lot, lot worse. So please join your union. Um, and also look after you because that is actually a revolutionary act. It really is a revolutionary act in this system to put your needs first ahead of the job deadlines and the administrative tasks and to make sure that, like really proactively make sure that you are okay. Um, it is actually a revolutionary act to put yourself ahead of these work deadlines. And of course, I'm not saying 
to then not get your job done. That's not, it's not the same thing. That, that binary thinking is part of the thing that the system teaches you so that you feel like your only choice, if you want to be a good teacher, is to sacrifice your health for the sake of these work deadlines. I'm not saying to not do your job, but I'm saying put your needs so high on the list that it allows you to show up in a, in a way that keeps you well, right, um, as much as you can. And that's pretty much what self-care for teachers is all about, honestly. Uh, like I'm, I'm not here for fucking skincare. That's not what this is. This is about preventing burnout. This is about helping you survive a system that is literally rigged to make you feel like you, you're not, there's something wrong with you if you're not functioning. So it's about helping you to survive in this system, um, in this fucked up system. But it also, that starts with you not being completely burnt out. So let's start there, right? Um, I'll share with you a couple of ways that I can help you with that in a minute. <sighs> Thanks for listening. Um, I know this is a lot, more than I probably intended uh, initially when I put in the Instagram sticker last night, whether you wanted me to share my <laughs> theories on this. But I think it needs to be said, actually. Um, and I... You know, I've been learning from people who have been sharing, people who are much smarter than me about a lot of this stuff. So um, number one, I just ordered this book. It's just arrived. It's called, it might be backwards for you. It's called Changing Edu Australian Education, How Policy is Taking Us Backwards and What Can Be Done About It by Professor Alan Reid, who is from, I think, a South Australian university. Um, and I've only just, it's only just arrived. So um I'm only into the introduction, but really looking forward to diving into that because, you know, I think we can't ignore the, the systemic issues from the, the kind of political policy level. I'm also, um, the Australian Education Union has been doing some webinars in November um, around fair funding um, and equitable policy decisions in that regard. And they are, I have some to catch up on. They're on their Facebook page, the Australian Education Union Facebook page. Um, you, if you go to the videos, you'll be able to find them. So that's what, that's another place that I'm learning from people who are smarter than me in this area. Like they've done more research than me. They know more about it. Um, and I've found it very, very, really enlightening. Um, and I'm also, uh, I'm a student at the Feminist Coach Academy. Um, I'm, I'm undertaking, um, Feminist Coach Academy studies, uh, this year. I'm really looking forward to diving into that more over the holidays because I'm a little bit behind. Um, and what I'm getting from that is learning about how these overall systems of oppression work. Um, and that has really helped, I suppose, my understanding of it. But also the more you learn about that, the more you can start to realise, oh, it's not me. Uh, it's not me that's the problem not functioning in this world. The problem is the systems that make me feel like I'm the problem for not functioning. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, um, looking forward to sharing more about that study, uh, as I progress through the training. Um, but anyway, the Feminist Coach Academy podcast is also really good. Highly recommend it if you're interested in just some of these concepts. Um, so that's where I'm learning about it. Um, and I will continue to share that. Um, and I also really, um, you know, I, I said what I, what my mission with self-care for teachers really is to do is to help you survive and 
maybe thrive. I'm actually starting to wonder if it's actually possible to thrive in this system. Like I think we need the system to change in order for that to be truly possible for everyone. But to survive the system and to have enough resources internally um, and externally for you to be okay so that then you can really go forward and make a difference without without sacrificing yourself for the sake of the system. Um, so a couple of ways that I can help you with that. Number one, I have the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you don't know about it, there's seven seasons, lots and lots and lots of information. It's free. It's available on demand in your podcast player. Put Teacher Wellbeing in. You'll find it. There should be a link in the in my Instagram bio as well. Um, number two, I have a freebies library, which has got some, some self-care kind of resources in there. I'm going to be updating that a little bit too in the beginning of 2020. Um, so some of the things that are in there might come down and be replaced by new um, resources. So again, link for that in my bio, but selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash library. I also at the moment, like I have a planner, um, self-care planner for teachers. And um, at the moment, I'm in pre-sale for the 2021 planner plus the the, the mini e-course around the self-care system that goes with it because it's not a quick fix. It's not a once done. Like a planner is not going to solve all your problems um, I mean, the system won't solve all, the self care system won't solve all your problems either. But anyway, that's in pre sale available at the moment. So um, I'll put a link. Oh no, there's, there will be links in my Instagram bio. So go and find that. Um, and also the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program, which is my signature program, will start again in late January. But I'm opening up some early bird options with some bonuses to actually get started in early January. Um, in the next week or so. So if you're not already on my email list, I highly recommend you jump on the advocate newsletter. Um, link in my bio because, because it is the people that have been through that program already and I'm up, updating it for 2020. What are we up to? 2021. Um, updating it for 2021 have found a change in their health and well-being and therefore the way they show up in their work as well. So would love for you to join the Resilient Teacher Group Coaching Program. Stay tuned for the early bird um, registration with some bonus stuff starting in early January um, or the, the main cohort that will start in late January, early Feb. So as always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. You are allowed to make sure you are okay in this system that is not looking out for you. Um, and, you know, I hope that you are able to take if you're not on holidays yet, you probably will be very, very shortly. Take some time over the holidays to really make sure that you're prioritizing yourself and, and going forward into 2021 that you can, you know, shift out of some of these uh, these binary thinking patterns that have set us up to feel like the only options are total self-sacrifice to be a good teacher or selfish, horrible person who is well but isn't a good teacher. There are more options than that, right? So... You are allowed to look after you. Um, make sure you keep thinking about who benefits from your self-sacrifice that is excessive. Um, you're allowed to do your job in whatever way you see fit. You're a good teacher even if your classroom doesn't look pretty uh, and you're a good teacher even if the data that is showing that maybe the needle hasn't moved this year but if you kept those kids engaged, if you kept those kids showing up, um, whether virtually or in person. I mean, there's so much more than data to good teaching. So just keep that in mind. 
you are a person first and a teacher second and you're allowed to look after you. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.